0: Welcome to The Journey to Wellness, a podcast that focuses on nutrition, exercise, mental health, and more. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Mallory. Welcome to the show. I'm really grateful and excited that you took time out of your schedule to come on. So thanks for being here.
1: Yes, of course. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and maybe Share a little bit about the journey um, that it took to get to where you are now.
1: Definitely. Well, as you said, my name is Mallory and I'm a dietitian. And so my whole journey to get here has been kind of a funny one. I feel like sometimes we're interested in the things that we struggle with ourselves. And that's kind of my full circle moment with this occupation that I'm in now. But I wanted to be a dietitian actually from a young age. I knew around my sophomore, junior year of High school, which in a way was such a gift, because I think that a lot of people don't know what they want to do, and that really guided me throughout my education and even my next steps in my life. But I was interested in becoming a dietitian because of the fact that I was actually struggling with an eating disorder myself. So I guess it was a good reason—the fact that I wanted to help others—but not the best in the way that it was really coming from the place where almost this obsession with health had started. And so once I got out of high school, I was still really struggling with that eating disorder, actually all throughout my undergrad, really, until about my senior year, I really started to make a lot of changes in my lifestyle. But once I was in that space where I actually started to feel better, I realized that what I was in at the time wasn't actually really fueling me in the way I thought. So I was in sports and that was what all of my experience was in. That's what I had job opportunities in. And then I figured out that I was actually a lot more inclined and motivated to help the people that I was seeing that were athletes that were struggling with eating disorders themselves because disordered eating eating disorders are so common with athletes, you know, obviously everyone, but and such high competition levels and a lot of focus on how your body looks. And so towards my dietetic internship I started to really recognize that and from there that really spurred into what my career is today which is helping women who are struggling with their body and their relationship with food and exercise really transform and become the healthiest version of themselves. So I do this virtually. I live in Austin, Texas and Have my two pets here, hanging out with me as I'm podcasting. I'm like, you guys need to be quiet. Are they cats,
0: dogs?
1: (laughs) I have a cat and then I have a dog. My dog is fully snoozed right now, and then I think my cat is I don't know somewhere messing around. (laughs) But we're good for now. (laughs) Yeah, we're good for now. But yeah, I loved Austin. It's been so fun to be here. So yeah, and
0: I'm in Austin too. I'm loving it as well. Yes. But um, I'm super excited. Like what you mentioned there, um, about like athletes struggling with eating disorders. Because I work with athletes, but, um, I don't have as much experience with eating disorders, probably like just enough to maybe help someone who's on the spectrum of maybe they have yeah. some like disordered eating tendencies. I can help them out. And then I know enough to like know my boundaries and know when I need to refer them. And so I'm really excited to kind of dive into this further. Cause like I just said, it's something that I don't know a ton about. I'm definitely not an expert yeah. like you are. So I'm excited to gain some knowledge and unpack some things that have helped you along your j- journey of recovery. And what you do to help others as well. So yeah, I think you mentioned that you help women who have tried everything, transform Mm -hmm. their relationship with food and body image. And so what are some like common diets or fads or things that you see that fall under that tried everything kind of category?
1: Totally. I think that there are just so many different categories. It could be right. So you have the true dieters, which could be really anything that's trending in that moment or something that's just completely bizarre. It could it be changes like
0: month by month. Yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> it could be whole 30. It could be paleo. It could be keto, but it could also be random things such as, you know, the prolon fast is big right now, or it could be even FODMAP. Yes. FODMAP has medical purposes that we use it for, but sometimes people will prolong that. And so there's so many different things, but it also can just be generalized, removing of food groups or obsession with health or restrictive tendencies so it really does kind of encompass all of that tried everything umbrella, but from diets to just removing foods, to obsessing about things and everything in between.
0: So I'm sure you say on top of like all of the newest trends and diets and stuff, just from like hearing about it from clients.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I think just from hearing about it from them, I'm like, what even is this new thing right. that you, you, know?
0: like you mentioned prolonged fasting and I know intermittent fasting has been huge, but I hadn't even heard of that. So that's new to me.
1: Yeah. It's a, like a cleanse that's supposed to mimic fasting, which is not possible because they're eating enough that you're not fasting, but you know, they don't care. They just still right. sell it that way. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> whatever sells, whatever it looks like it would work. And sometimes it's so outrageous because that's what sells and that's what convinces yeah. like it convinces people. They need that outrageous thing.
1: Exactly. So, it's yeah. wild. It's,
0: you kind of mentioned like um, it's the elimination of food groups entirely. Um, but are, what are the common themes you see that might explain why all of these new and different things don't seem to work long term?
1: When it comes down to how our body really works and even what is fueling these diets and these removal of food groups and all of this, scientifically, we're not actually set up to live in these really restrictive conditions, mentally or physically. I look a lot into the type of Hayes curriculum and even just kind of actually learning about how our body works. And diet culture itself is really set up to sell diets that solve a problem that they created, right? So they create this idea that there's only one type of body that we should have. There's only one type of look that we should be going for. And really narrow-minded pictures of what health means. And then they give you these diets, these programs, these pills, these restrictive tendencies to try to get you to look that way. But we know that it's not scientifically possible for most people to achieve that body type because we're all so genetically different, right? Mm -hmm. And so- When you think about that, it really puts people on this never-ending cycle of not ever fulfilling what they're desiring. But at the same time, a lot of the time, even if they do lose weight or get stronger or whatever it is, they were expecting something from that change that isn't actually going to be brought about by just that physical change itself. So if you just get stronger because you think that's going to make you happier and fix all your problems... Then you get stronger and it doesn't happen, right. it creates that whole cycle again. So there's a few different things that contribute, but I would say those themes are the most prevalent.
0: What you just said is so huge. I feel like you expect something to change besides you just getting stronger. Like you think you're going to get more confidence from that or more happiness yes. about that. So I'm hoping we can dig into that a little bit later about how do we really bring about those changes. Um, mm-hmm. But kind of before we get there, what What brings a person like that's like hop from diet to diet or fad to fad? What kind of brings them to the point where they're like, all right, I need to go see Mallory or go see whoever, or really change something really change the way I'm approaching this. Like what causes them or what brings them to that point?
1: It's different for everybody for sure. But when I think about my own journey or a lot of the people that come to me, It's just because they start to recognize that they're literally not able to do it anymore. Mm. Now, there are some really smart people, I cannot include myself in this group, that don't have to push themselves to such an extreme to recognize, hey, I should probably get help with this because I'm not feeling my best or, you know, it's, it's interfering with the enjoyment that I can really have in my life. But... This is probably just because like attracts like so much of the time with who is being coached, but I find there's so many people that their body will just say like, you cannot do this anymore. And there is this amazing mechanism that our body has. we're, when we're really pushing it to places it doesn't want to go, it will try to fight back. And so, you know, I have a lot of those people that just recognize they can't do it. And then the other people that really think about it in advance and just recognize they want a more fulfilled and enjoyable life without having to constantly worry about food in their body and exercise all the time. Mm.
0: So what can we do like as professionals to kind of promote um, healthy eating and healthy living and a non-restrictive lifestyle before these people hit rock bottom or reach the point where they um, can't sustain whatever they're doing anymore? What can we do as professionals?
1: I really like that question because I think that every single professional and every single person, different things are gonna work for them, you know? And I don't expect every single professional to operate like I do. I operate so much in the lens and the niche of my audience that the people that are seeing me are struggling with food. So I talk about food in a little bit different way than you would to an athlete, like you're saying, or than you would to someone that has diabetes maybe, right? But at the same time, I feel that we should all really stick to these standards of not talking about food in a way of demonizing it, not making it good and bad and adding this morality to it, because then that's when it gets so attached to your worth. Mm. I also think it's really important for professionals to just be more knowledgeable, like you're saying, and actually refer out. It's really sad, but very common for people to not be very well educated especially when they don't have a formal education as a dietitian or a therapist or you know a type of practitioner and they'll unfortunately whether it's purposely or unpurposely or not purposely kind of use these people that are struggling with disordered tendencies and fuel that by selling them weight loss or giving them a meal plan or giving them an exercise plan that's really regimented so it's both of those things to combined, that I think are very important for professionals to try to follow to stop this cycle as, as well as just talking about food in a more balanced way too. Like we just need a little bit more balance, I think with nutrition a lot of the time.
0: Yeah. I think it all comes down to balance. Balance is so important. And I always think about sometimes all this stress you're doing about eating a cookie is going to be way more harmful for you than just eating the cookie. You know what I yes. mean? Like, and it all comes down to, there's this interplay of, exercise and nutrition and stress and sleep. It all affects one another um, and it's all integrated. And so, yeah, it really does just come down to balance. You gotta, you gotta pay attention to what you're putting in your body. But if it's, if you're doing that to an extent where it's causing you stress, then it's not really going to be healthy for you. So I I love that you said that. And it's really sad too. We're saying like some people will, instead of trying to help the people that are struggling with disorder tendencies, they'll take advantage of it. And you see that a lot and it's really sad.
1: It is. Yeah, it's really so, sad.
0: And I think that's why people really appreciate your content. I think, I think I followed you, you, you switched your account, right? You made a brand yeah, new account like a few I did. years ago and you started off with like, I don't know, like a hundred followers and now you're all the way up. And I think it's not the numbers. It's just the fact that you've grown such a great community. And I think it's because you are authentic and you're really trying to help people and people see that. And so that's really great. And, um, why I wanted to have you on. Um, but what are, what are some of the first steps that you take when you have a client towards their recovery or their healing?
1: It definitely, I feel like this is my broken record sound, but (laughs) it's so different depending on what they're struggling with, because as we were kind of alluding to in the beginning, are they the chronic dieter or do they have a full blown eating disorder or do they have disordered eating tendencies? I treat them all with the same amount of severity and attention, but you're going to take slightly different steps because whenever I have someone come to me, the first things I'm looking at are what is the thing that we can tackle first? That's going to make the biggest difference, but also not so big of a change that it will make them want to stop because so often it's just it's really tough for people not to want to give up. And I find that in many circumstances, people like this are too fully thrown into uh, their recovery. That works for some people, so I'm not talking against it, but it can make them feel overly overwhelmed and then they kind of relapse. So I always want to tackle those kind of small attainable goals that are going to make the biggest impact possible depending on what that client is presenting with and struggling with the most.
0: I think that's really good. Focusing on small things, but the things that are going to make the biggest impact, that's how you're going to be most efficient. And I take that approach with my athletes too. Like I always say, you have to master the basics first. You got to lay that foundation before we can ever talk about like doing these fancy supplements you want to hear more about or anything (laughs) like that. Um, You got to really build those basics and those basics are going to be the ones or the things that have the biggest impact anyway. And so I really like that you said that the smallest things, but the ones that will make the biggest impact, that's really good. We we kind of talked earlier about the results that we see physically might not give us what we thought it would, like the happiness or the confidence. Um so what I, I'm really glad I'm asking you this question because I don't know the answer to it. What do you do to get people more confidence and more happiness, um maybe, maybe even separate from the physical results?
1: I think that this goes along with not just disordered eating eating disorders, but even to what you were saying you do with athletes or if anybody is coming to you for changing their body, like anything, any realm. And it's actually something that I personally believe is a big hole within the dietitian space, even in our undergrad education. Mm -hmm. Because realistically, what we have to do is we have to pair the mental work with the physical work. And we do this in ways of, yes, okay, like this is why this isn't a bad food, right? But that's not really the mental work I'm talking about. It's uncovering the reason why this thing came up or why we want something. We have to have an understanding of the true reason as to why we are struggling in order to first understand it second to be able to want to work through it and then third to be able to actually enjoy or appreciate any change that may come about for this will be different depending on the sector that someone works in but for me if someone comes to me with a like just a terrifying fear of weight gain And then their body changes because it has to change in order to sustain their life in the best way. And we don't work on the physical aspects about why there's so much fear of that weight gain or the mental aspects of why there's so much fear and how we're going to work through that. Then when they get to that weight, they're just going to relapse and go backwards. So you could say the same thing about the opposite way. If someone is coming to you for weight loss and you want to help assist them in that, and they're convinced that that's going to lead them to happiness. But once they get there, they still have all the same problems. They're going to go back to the same place that they were at before. So this concept is so important and it's hard to explain in a really tangible sense because I find it's so individualized with the questions and the ways that you'll be asking people to get to that deeper reason. But I do always find addressing traumas, challenges, things that they have endured in their life, reasons as to why they think that they need or don't need that change is a big piece of the puzzle.
0: That's so good. And I was going to ask about practically what can they do? But like you said it just kind of depends on the person, but the main focus is really exploring that trauma and why it came about. Is there anything you can kind of point to or some common things that you can do to kind of do some introspection and kind of explore that?
1: Totally. I think that even just doing, you know, it's going to be kind of use what is the most fueling for you. So if you like journaling, do journaling. If you like meditating, meditate. If you like, I don't know, talking it out with someone, you could explore talking with a friend at a coffee group or a book club, or even going to a therapist. Right. But I always find that we don't really ask ourselves a lot of questions. We ask ourselves a lot of questions and we have a lot of thoughts that run unconsciously all the time, but really think about when do i ask myself why i want something. And it's not very often. And so when i start for example my group coaching or even my one-on-one um and i'm even coming up with like a journal that's literally specifically to this to like help to bring up some of these questions, it's always just Going into it and writing things down. For example, one of the questions that I ask is Share your journey with food, exercise, and your body from the beginning to now. And so much of the time, people will just start with that question. And of course, when people are struggling with disordered eating, it's quite a loaded one, but they'll find themselves crying or like breaking down or having these just moments of realizing they've literally never put a pen to paper or spoken to someone about this. And it's such a revolutionary feeling to not only get it off of your mind, but just get it out in the open so that you're not the one like holding on to that physically anymore. So I know that that's not the most tangible example of everything. I do find that leaning into what's calling to you though, is such a big piece of it as well.
0: Yeah. I think we could have a whole podcast on that. Uh, us not asking <laughs> yes. ourselves questions, us <laughs> yeah. not doing like reflection. We're not um, being conscious about the habits we're creating. A lot of the time, we're just kind of going with the flow without much conscious thought, like you said. And so yeah. it's good to press pause and to take some time, even just every day, if it's journaling or something to do that. And I'm reading a book about habits. I it right here. It's called oh, Atomic it. Habits by James. Oh, I've heard Bird. it's
1: amazing. Yeah, it's, need to I'm read not it. super
0: far into it, but it's pretty good so far. And a big part of, his thesis too, is that a lot of the habits that we're doing, like, we don't even think about why we're doing them or like the order that we're doing them or if they're serving us or not. And so I'm like maybe three, four chapters in, I'm not very far. And he's already talking about take like a daily review of like your habits and why are you doing these habits? And so it's just bringing that stuff in the subconscious into the conscious. And so that's kind of what you were talking about. And that's kind of what I'm learning about right now and what I want to read more about and research about. So that's why I say we could have a whole podcast on that, yeah. um, but we won't today. <laughs>
1: well, it's big with athletes too, though. Like yeah, it is. I remember so often, you know, one of the experiences I had, I worked at a few different colleges and did, I also worked at Exos. And so seeing a lot of different levels of athletes and in Exos, we'd have a lot of athletes that would come in and, you know, maybe they just did their combine or even when I was in Oklahoma, I did their preseason football camp. And so some of these people that are these men that had just gotten into school and like, this was their thing. And they were going to school for football. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes they would find themselves so unfulfilled and it's because there's this whole idea that, OK, well, when I make college, I'll make feel like I made it. Or when I hit pro, I'll feel like I'll make it. OK, well, when I get this or that and then next thing, you know, they achieve everything that they could have ever wanted or like even the Olympics. OK, yeah. I'm into the Olympics, but then they don't feel fulfilled by that because they don't actually know the real reason why they were wanting it.
0: Mm, yeah. Well, even tom brady in one of his interviews he had won three super bowls in a row or something like that and he's like i just feel like there's something more mm-hmm. and you can just feel that he's just still unsatisfied not even unsatisfied just not content with what he's accomplished or like he just feels like there's more and so it goes it all goes back to what you were talking about so i love that can you talk a little bit about the negative consequences of eating dis- disorders that people may not realizing they're experiencing because maybe they think it's just normal, like an everyday part of life or those, um, things that they might experience in, in the future, if they don't make a change and don't fix it.
1: Eating disorders have so many more effects than people think. And even if you're sitting here listening to this thinking, well, I don't think I have a full-blown eating disorder, although there's different severity, severity to these things, obviously. I still think that this goes for any place that you're at on the spectrum of struggling with your relationship with food. So obviously with an eating disorder, if you want to get really serious about it, when you are restricting yourself, your muscles start to waste away. And one of those muscles is your heart. So in very serious conditions, right? Eating disorders literally kill many people and people don't even really think about that. They don't think about those harming aspects of it, but even outside of that and the stuff that we hear about a lot, there's so many ways that of course, mentally, it just drains you. It doesn't make you like your best version of yourself. It takes away your personality. It causes you to be so self-centered and then physically it wrecks your gut and your body. So, so often people will come to me because of bloating, something they really struggle with or irregularity but really that is all coming from their eating disorder. 98% of people that struggle with an eating disorder have a comorbid gut condition. So they're very, wow. very tied.
0: That's like almost everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, but people don't always know that, which is mm-hmm. wild. And that will affect you now and continually. And we know now that the gut is so huge and mood and how we feel. Right. And so just but having it can that almost, be I feel
0: like turn into yes. a cycle. Then if your mood is bad yes. and stuff, and then you just go further into the disordered eating, um, and it just kind of cycles. Is that right?
1: Oh, 100%. That's so often what it looks like. And I could go down a whole list of the mental things that it causes the ways that it causes you to withdraw in your life and all of that. But it is so many more negatives than people could imagine when they're in it, or even when they're thinking about toying with the idea of engaging in a disordered behavior.
0: So I'm curious when you start, when people start healing from this process and maybe incorporating even just like more calories in their diet and not being scared of certain foods, what are like some of the first benefits and changes and things that they notice going better?
1: I just had a client that was experiencing this last week and she just felt like she had so much more energy to start off she noticed that she was able to actually communicate and socialize, whereas she had been isolating herself consistently for months on end. She had a desire to do things, which is big. A lot of the time, especially that eating disorder voice will do anything it can to take you out of situations in which you would want to heal. But more than anything, the coolest parts of it are that they start to get their personality back mm-hmm. and that is the most special piece of it because I say that an eating disorder and disordered eating habits, it just mutes everything about you. It mutes your potential, your personality, the way that you feel, how you interact with others. So when people begin to get those first experiences of noticing the shift in that, it's huge, not to mention the physical enjoyment of eating new foods or you know, just kind of feeling like their gut may feel a little bit better, different things like that. I think the mental is the biggest though.
0: Yeah. That's so awesome. I got goosebumps when you were talking about some of those benefits, <laughs> they're like coming alive again, like they're being who they yes. were meant to be. And so that has to be so rewarding to see that play out.
1: Yes. I, I love that. That's my favorite piece of it for sure. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned more energy. That's usually the first thing because a lot of athletes under eat, so it might not be yes. necessarily on purpose or an eating disorder. Sometimes it is, But um, just like 70 to 95% of athletes are under eating. I think that's high school athletes. So the first thing they notice too is more mental clarity. They're thinking Mm. clearer. They have more energy and it's kind of the same benefits you just mentioned, maybe just less drastic. Um, So that's always awesome to see too. Totally. How do you find the balance between not having any like fear over food, but also realizing the impact that food has on your health? Because there are foods that can negatively impact your health if you consume them too much or in excess so how do you kind of balance that
1: so much of the time i'm educating people on the fact oh here's my cat i wish you all could see him
0: she is nosy and yeah literally
1: um so much of the time i'm educating people on not engaging in so many extremes that is such a big thing because if we don't go from one extreme to the next extreme, then we're never going to find ourselves having foods that may not feel the best to us so often. This is especially also where I lean into intuitive eating. I want to say that I'm someone that is like the constant advocate for intuitive eating because within eating disorders, it only has its specific time and place. Mm-hmm. But When you're actually listening to your body and able to tap into it, you'll notice the things that make you feel better and the things that don't. And so if you're actually following that, then you're going to be consistently having foods that support you feeling your best. And so I always like to share the different ways in which and reasons why we eat food And so much of the time, we just think about it as fuel, but it's not just fuel, it's connection. It's an experience, you know, it's convenience, it's situational. And so also being able to evaluate why you're having food in that moment and not having stress about those things, because like you were saying earlier, Yes. If you eat 6,000 cookies a day, you're not going to feel good. But if you have a cookie and that is just what you want, you don't need to stress about that for hours. It's worse to stress about it than it is to just have the cookie.
0: I love that answer. Every, I don't even have anything to add. That's perfect. So I love that. <laughs> oh,
1: good. Um,
0: and you can just tell that you are you're very knowledgeable on this on this topic and you're so authentic and you're really out there to help people. And so um, that just really shines too. So, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Um, is there anything, any last thoughts you want to add? Um, kind of putting you on the spot there, but just any last thoughts you want to leave with us?
1: I would just say that if someone is listening to this and they feel like it is resonating with them or that they need support in this area. Just don't discredit yourself or convince yourself that you're not sick enough or that you don't need it or that it's not the right time. I personally was someone that put it off for way too long and I didn't get help and I thought I could do it on my own and it's admirable to try to achieve things on your own accord but at the end of the day that's not what's going to help you live your most fulfilled life and these things won't go away until you address them and the more quote-unquote sick you get to believe that you need help the harder it's going to be to get out of it and so there's a lot of resources that you can use you know you can go on Mita, you can it depends on where you are in the state, but if you are where you are in the world, but need is a great resource that you can utilize. And also just like even reaching out and telling someone is a big deal, whether you just think you have a few things you need to work through, or you think you have an eating disorder. So I always want to say that just for the people that may be listening that could potentially resonate.
0: Yeah. And if they do resonate with that, and maybe they want a voice on their feed that kind of is is speaking to them in a positive way where can they find you on instagram or all your socials kind of talk a little bit about where they can find you
1: yeah so i'm mallory j page on everything so youtube TikTok, and instagram you can find me there and i share quite frequently feel free to dm me or message me i'm always happy to chat about whatever you're going through or just to connect in general and then if you want to work with me and you know in a more intimate sense, then you can do one-on-one coaching, group coaching with me. I'm also coming out with a journal that's about body image that should be launching here soon. So I'm really excited for that as kind of a lower price point entry option, but definitely feel free to shoot me a message because I always love connecting with people that, you know, just need a little bit more support, whether that be on their feed, in their life with a practitioner, or just kind of in general.
0: That's so awesome. Definitely check her out, guys. Thank you again, Mallory, so much for coming on the show. I enjoyed this conversation so much.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> and the cat came to say goodbye. Yes, the him. cat <laughs>
1: came to say goodbye. As well. <laughs> awesome.